Oh, that is so incredible. Thank you, worship team, and good morning, Orangewood. It's good to be with you. Uh, good to be back with you in worship and uh, to be with the worship team, experiencing the grace and mercy of our risen God with you today. I did a worship service, an outside service in Oviedo yesterday with three other pastors, and there were actual people standing in front of us as we sang together and as we worshiped outside. And I was reminded that I worship better with real people as you drown out my voice and as together we lift up our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, that was a great time of worship. I look forward to being back with you face-to-face -face during our time of worship. Well, I want to say also, as Pastor Joe said, Happy Mother's Day. We're thankful for you ladies and hope that you'll have a wonderful day of remembrance of what God has done in your life and the major contribution that you have made to us. Well, listen, today we continue our series in the Old Testament book of Daniel. And Daniel is one of my favorite heroes of all times in the Bible. Students, I hope uh, that you study the life of Daniel and come to see him as a hero in your own life. But today, uh, as we continue our study in the book of Daniel, we're actually not gonna learn from Daniel. We're gonna learn from Daniel's three buddies and uh, some great lessons for us and uh, before we look to God in his word, let's look to him in prayer. Our great God, what a joy it is to be able to come today in this place and this time to worship you and to understand that you are the God of heaven and earth. There is no God beyond you. You are the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you that in the reality of the trials that we experience, you're in the fire with us. And so today, as we look at this very, very important text, we pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to you. We pray that you would be the teacher and open our minds to your truth. And so we pray for the one who teaches that you'd forgive him his sins and use one who is finite to communicate your infinite truth. Our focus today is Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm doing a reading uh, now in one of some of my personal study in Paul Johnson's History of the American People. It's a phenomenally large tome. And uh, Johnson is one of those British thinkers who actually likes us. <laughs> a lot of people don't like us overseas. I was speaking to some church planters once in uh, London, and I went to church on Sunday, and I was talking to a college student afterwards and, and, and I sensed the negativity about Americans. I said, I said, you guys really don't like us that much, do you? And she said, no, not really. Well, Paul Johnson was a Brit who liked us. And from his book, as I'm reading about the time of the revolution, I realized an important principle of history that whenever people are oppressed by a tyrannical government or leader, there will be resistance. There will be resistance. And resistance is a great word. Our country was formed as a resistance to a tyrannical government. What, what is resistance? Well, resistance is this. Resistance is, um, uh-uh, no way. I'm, I'm not going to go any further. 
Resistance is, is when we say, I played ball with you this long, but I'm not going to go any further. Resistance is when we put our, dig our heels in and put the brakes on. And when we say no more, and the reality is resistance has been a big part of human history in World War II, uh, in Europe, the major movement uh, that uh, was opposed to the Nazis in Europe was called the resistance. And the resistance was the underground, it was the partisans, but the resistance published newspaper, they attacked German troops when they had the opportunity, they, they rescued Jews and downed airmen, uh, they, they did all kinds of things, but they resisted the Nazi government. And resistance is, is really a biblical word too, it's important. I love, I love what uh, uh, the, the rock band Skillet said in their song, entitled The Resistance. They said, I'm a nation, I'm a million faces formed together, made for elevation. I'm a soldier, I won't surrender. Faith is like a fire that never burns to embers. Who's gonna stand up? Who's gonna fight the voice of the unheard? Who's gonna break these chains and lies? Love is the answer. I gotta speak it, believe it. That's how I feel inside. I can't sit here and be quiet. And I think they're really speaking of the church in this song and that we as Christians have been really raised as a resistance movement within the Roman Empire when it got started. And so I want you to uh, know as we look at Daniel chapter 3 together that what we're seeing is this idea of godly resistance and how it's done. These principles, these strategies of resistance that I'm going to teach you from Daniel 3 today are principles that the Israelites had to learn as they went into captivity in Babylonia after 586 BC. They had to learn these principles and Daniel and his friends learned them. But the interesting thing is these principles also had to be learned by the early church. And when we go to the book of Acts, the amazing thing is is that we begin to see these principles put into practice by the early church. And, and, I, and I wanna make this promise. I hate to say this actually, but there, there it is. The reality is, I believe that as Christians at the beginning of the 21st century, we're gonna have to learn these same principles of resistance again. So I've got four strategies of, of resistance for you, and uh, I'm going to give you the first one, and we're going to look into God's Word and move through them. Here we go. You ready? Here we go. Principle number one for godly resistance or godly uh, a strategy of godly resistance is a cognitive one. It's an intellectual one. It's understanding the arrogance of human power. That's what this is about. We see it in Daniel 3, chapter 1. Here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood up before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, 
You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, last week, Pastor Joe did a, a phenomenal job of unpacking uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2, in which Daniel had been called uh, upon by God to interpret a, a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had and, 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 and give him the full understanding of that dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had said, and go back if you haven't heard that message, go back and watch that message and learn from it. It's powerfully done, well done. But, but at the end of chapter 2, uh, we understand that Daniel not only had to tell the king the dream he had, but then tell him the interpretation of that. And Daniel did it in an amazing way. And at the end of chapter 2, we see Nebuchadnezzar falling down before Daniel, prostrating himself before Daniel, and praising over and over and over the God of Daniel. So by the end of Daniel chapter 2, you and I think, man, he's become a born-again Jew. Nebuchadnezzar has become a monotheist. We believe that until we come to Daniel chapter 3. And we see that's not true at all. In fact, we see that Nebuchadnezzar was a simply uh, an old-fashioned polytheist, a believer in many different gods. The Babylonians believed in Marduk and Bel as their primary gods, but they were open to all kinds of gods. And so now Nebuchadnezzar was willing to worship Daniel's God, the God of Israel, because he obviously had shown such great power in him. We have no idea really if this statue that was set up was a statue that was set up to represent uh, one of those gods or King Nebuchadnezzar, but it sure seems as though King Nebuchadnezzar was pretty big on himself. It may have been a statue to represent him. But here we see uh, that this statue, 16 feet high, was intended to intimidate, three times taller than the average five-foot man of the time, and it was intended to gain the loyalty of God's people. Now, catch this about a totalitarian king. What, he did, what did he do? He wrote a law, he imposed it on his people, and he said, you will comply or you'll be burned. If you don't comply, I'll burn you. And every one of us has been burned. Boy, I tell you, uh, burns are some of the most painful injuries we can have. And so what did people do? When Nebuchadnezzar laid down this totalitarian, uh, despotic law, what did they do? Well, they did the most unamazing thing. They bowed down. <laughs> of course they did. Because throughout human history, we see that when there are tyrannical, despotic leaders, that when they are raised up, most people do what they want them to do. That's why we can understand that immoral leaders get away with so much for so long with so many. All but... Daniel's three friends. 
Everybody bowed down, but Daniel and his three friends, because they were true Jews. They were true believers in the one God, in the most high God, who they had been raised with, who they had understood was the God of heaven and earth and the redeeming God. Now, their names had been changed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were their Babylonian names that they'd been given. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never forgot who they really were. I love this. Shadrach's uh, real name was Mishael, which means what? Who is what God is? Who is what God is? Mishael really means there's only one God. Shadrach, Meshach's name was Hananiah. Yahweh is glorious. And Abednego's real name was Azariah. Yahweh is helper. And so we learn from these three true believers that in the face of a tyrannical government or a, a, a false authority in their life, they remember who they are as God's beloved children and how important that is. You see, they, they knew the Ten Commandments. They knew Exodus 21 through 7. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself graven images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. They understood in the first tablet of the law that there was one God, and they never forgot who they were. Go back uh, when you have a chance, maybe today, to 1 Corinthians 10, in which the Apostle Paul does an extended talk about idols and idol worship. And, he, and, and, and the first thing he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is, hey, keep in mind that behind the idols, well, there's really nothing. There's no such thing as an idol. There's not multiple gods. But then he comes out and he says, but we know demons put forward the idols. And so he says, be careful. Be careful that you, what you worship. And as Christians, he calls us to make sure, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we understand who we are as the beloved, deeply beloved, redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God, because it's the idols that kill us and destroy us, and we need to resist them. And so the reality is, as we look at this, uh, that resistance strategy is first and foremost, if we're going to exist and thrive in a culture that is allied against our great God, we have to understand the arrogance of power. They want to, us to think like they do and act like they do, whether they are governments or whether they're entertainers or whether they are educators. There is an absolute intolerance for stepping outside the line and believing in anything else. And so the first strategy of resistance, godly resistance, is an intellectual one to understand the arrogance of human power. Now, the second strategy follows quickly on that, and this is an emotional strategy. This is more emotional in nature, which we need to embrace as God's people. And it is embrace the vulnerability of a God-first allegiance. Embrace the vulnerability of a God-first allegiance. Here we go, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, leaders uh, of the, Jew, of the uh, Babylonians, Certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, 
lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down shall be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, the interesting thing here is that uh, these followers of the one true God had enemies. This, of course, is not only an Old Testament principle. This is a New Testament principle. Uh, just because you don't think anybody is following you doesn't mean you shouldn't be a little paranoid because you have enemies as a Christian, just like these men following God in the Old Testament had enemies. And there always seems to be someone that is willing uh, to throw us into the fiery pit of suffering for our faith. And that's what happened to these guys. And there is a reality that is important for us to pick out that suffering always has been associated with being loyal to our great God. In fact, this is a major point in the New Testament as well. I've been teaching through 1 Peter uh, with the men in Orlando uh, at Forge, and, and I've been overwhelmed at the number of times Peter comes back to the subject of suffering. Three major sections of 1 Peter are about suffering. And he says this in chapter 3. He says, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do so with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that in what you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may honor him in the day of his visitation. Then Peter says, since Christ has armed himself in the flesh to suffer, arm yourself with that same purpose. And so suffering uh, for us as Christians has always been linked with Christianity. And we've got to relink them at the beginning of the 21st century. That to understand with following Jesus Christ, we are vulnerable. We're vulnerable to the suffering. We're vulnerable to criticisms. We're vulnerable to persecution of certain types. And that's always been the way it was with the church. I love what Tertullian, the early Christian, wrote in 195 AD. He wrote a defense of Christianity to the Roman Empire. And basically, he ended by saying, the more you persecute us, the more we thrive. The blood of the martyrs is seed. And so, Christians, we need to understand that just as what our brothers were exhibiting back then is true for us today, that we're more vulnerable uh, as we suffer and as we stand for Jesus Christ. I'm thinking about uh, two books that German Lutheran pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote as he opposed the Nazi regime as a follower of Christ's first book, was the cost of discipleship. And in that book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, 
when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's suffering. But then in his second book, Life Together, he talks about how we live our gospel and Christianity together. And so we're vulnerable. And I hate being vulnerable. As a guy, I hate even thinking about how vulnerable I am in Christ. But I'm stronger with you. No amount of suffering can overcome our great God. And as we stick together with God's people, we find his power to make it through every day. Even in the midst of suffering, we are better together. So strategy number one is to understand cognitively uh, the reality of authoritarian power. Uh, strategy number two is to understand emotionally the vulnerability that we actually have so that we stick together. And resistance strategy number three is, is volitional. It's actional, actionable. Defy in faith ungodly authoritarian or governmental demands. Here it is, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Ah, I love the response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <laughs> then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. An expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, and the furnace overheated, the flame of fire killed those men and took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. There are some things that Jews could not do to remain faithful to the one true God. There are some things that we as Christians simply cannot do to remain faithful to the one true God, and to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is a time to resist. There is a time for action. There is a time, they teach us here, to defy. This is tough, but we need to know our New Testaments well. We need, as Christians following Christ at the beginning of the 21st century, to be ready to do what our forefathers in the faith, the disciples, actually did I love these two passages in Acts. 
Acts 14, verse 13. 413. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And then in Acts 540, they called the apostles together and beat them and charged them to say nothing. And it says that they went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. Our spiritual forefathers were so brave. Their courage was absolutely amazing. My wife and I yesterday were watching uh, one of those TV shows on Dateline or something on TV and how a woman had stood up against corruption, risking her whole life uh, to stand against bad leadership, authoritarian leadership. And I marveled during this whole time thinking how courageous she was. Then I realized that's what we have. We in the scriptures have a record of some of the most courageous and brave women and men in the history of humankind. And they're God's people. And that leads us then to the last principle of resistance, and it's spiritual. We, we have to have an understanding mentally that there will be authoritarians. We need to understand also the emotional dimension of our vulnerability. We need to be ready to step out and actually defy those that stand against God. But then finally, we need to rest. It's a spiritual strategy. We need to rest in the current reign of God and the future triumph of his rule. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of the hands was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who was able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. These guys, these heroes, these men who set an example for us truly show us that as we trust in God, we can rest in the God who is the ultimate king over all. And when we rest in him, then we're able to deal with whatever comes our Way. I love the song that we sang just before I walked up here. Do you remember it? There is someone 
in the fire with us. I, I don't know the words exactly. I can't sing that song exactly. It was a great song. There's always somebody in the fire with us. Jesus said, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you or forsake you. And so we learn these principles of godly resistance as we understand that we as Christians, we're, we're born as resistors to a culture that is set against God, to a way of thinking that is set against God. But we have the truth, the good news of the gospel to give to other people. Who was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Was it the angel of the Lord? Was it a pre-incarnate appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? We're not sure, but we do know this, that Jesus Christ went through the fire of this planet for us. He went through living a perfect life and the opposition of unbelievers for us. He lived uh, through and died for persecution and the curse for our sins. We have been justified through faith in him and him alone. And so as we think about this, we realize that we can rest in King Jesus. We can rest in the sovereign king of the universe. You get a chance, read Matthew 24, the little apocalypse, because in the end, we win. Read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Read the book of Revelation, even though it's a difficult book to understand. Read it and be astonished and understand that those who rest in Jesus Christ are the ultimate victors, even though meantime, we might have to resist some on the planet. Hey, listen, we're going to continue our study in the book of Daniel over the next few weeks, but I want you to know these three themes that are in the book of Daniel. Number one, God is the true ruler over all people and all governments over all time. Keep that in mind. He is the God of all people over all governments and all authorities over all time. And he ultimately is the one who enthrones leaders and dethrones them, who establishes governments and disestablishes them. He's in charge. Number two, all kingdoms and nations have a defined and limited time of their leadership, and they will be replaced by God's eternal kingdom. So don't panic. You don't have to panic. Every government, every authority only has so long, but God's kingdom will reign forever. And then lastly, God's people do suffer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego escaped the suffering, but then they eventually died anyway on this life, in this life. And the reality is you might not escape the suffering. You might bear the consequences as so many have, but the reality is, is in the end, we win. So here it is. Stand tall. Read this. Read this. And, and remember, these are your spiritual forefathers. Stand tall in the faith. Lean on your Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful to him. Be a happy warrior as you stand up for him. Don't suffer needlessly, but suffer and be willing to suffer for the one who suffered for us. Hey, I told you the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you know the name? What, you know what name Daniel means? Daniel means God is my judge. And I love that. Daniel so lived the reality that God was his ultimate judge. 
And who do we live as, as God's people living in this planet now? We live as followers of Christ, understanding the reality that God has judged Jesus for us and that he's not angry at us. His grace has been given to us. We're forgiven. We can live boldly and we can live powerfully and we can live fruitfully for him. You can't lose as you stand and follow Jesus because his kingdom rules forever. You take it to heart and let's pray. Our great God, as we come into your presence, as we listen and, and read this account of these heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, we pray that you would give us as your people living right now at the beginning of the 21st century, we pray that you would give us hearts like they have, that you would help us to remember our true identity in Christ that we would never forget that you are in every fire with us and that, Lord Jesus, you have borne the curse for our sins. Help us to live tall, to walk tall, and to be happy servants and sacrificers for you. For we pray these things in your holy name. Amen.